All right, good morning, church. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. We are done with the book of John, but we are going to go to other places in the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible with you, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will give you one that you can use to follow along in. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles right now and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please keep that one. Take it with you and uh, dig into it. And I hope that today you will find things there that are essential for your life, and you can always find things there that are essential for your life. I am very excited about today um, for multiple reasons. Um, one of those reasons happens to be that um, after the service today, we are going to baptize four people down at Schultz Lake, and I am excited. Yeah, you should be too. Um, that is great. So at the end of the service, um, after the message and we've had communion together, uh, I'm going to come back up here and I'm going to have those four individuals come on up and we're going to meet them and hear a little bit of their stories and, um, and then following the service, um, after we've given a little bit of time to hire out our kids, um, then we're going to head down to the lake and um, do these baptisms and I invite you to come and, and be the church, just support these individuals as they get baptized today. This is a big moment for all of them and you'll hear that in their stories and um, in the whole event here. All right, this morning we start a new series of messages that's entitled Deconstruction. So we're not rebuilding the stage that's a set for deconstruction for this series. This is something that's been growing in my mind for a while now. Um, my plan as a preacher is to dig into God's Word, to dig into the Bible, and to let Him speak to us directly through the words that are written there. I always want the Bible to be our authority, and that's what we've been doing with the book of John but as we work our way through a book like that, during those series where we're looking at a book and we're breaking it down verse by verse and all that, um, I am looking, my eyes are open to what's happening in our midst as a church. I look to see what some of the things, uh, for some of the things that are going on that um, might be holding us back, they might be obstacles for us, they may be things that we need to address together and be equipped together to face as a church and as individuals. And so during this last series, as we went through the book of John, I've been looking, I've had my eyes open and been asking God to show me, what do we do now? Where do we, where do we focus for a little while here? And so over the last year, I felt this weight on me about the impact that the world around us is having on the way that we think on the way that we feel, on the way that we make decisions, on the way that we live overall. I've looked at the impact that the world is having on us, and it's significant. Every one of us is vulnerable to the things that influence our lives. The world and the culture around us deeply affect the way that we live and the way that we view life. And I'm seeing this more and more clearly recently. It's really building in me. And so I've felt this weight of urgency to address the impact that culture has on every single one of us. It's real. First here in this church, but also in the lives of the people around us. The impact that the culture is having on them as well. And this has become uh, critical for me to, to address, to work through. And into that thought process came the concept of deconstruction. And so let me start this with a definition of deconstruction that we'll use as we move through this series. Here's what I mean by deconstruction. <clears throat> deconstruction 
means to break something down into its separate parts in order to understand its meaning, especially when this is different from how it was previously understood. And what we're going to do for the summer is we're going to practice examining our pursuits, our priorities, and our values, and we're going to invite God to rebuild each of these according to his wisdom, his plan, his intent for us and our lives. That's going to involve some deconstruction of what we believe and how we see things. It's going to involve an acknowledgement of the influence that our culture has on these pursuits and priorities and the values that give direction to our lives. We're going to deconstruct some, some ideas that we have in order to understand the meaning of what's beneath those ideas and in order to see the effects of the influences on our lives on those ideas, how those ideas have been shaped. Now, Please know that I have looked back over what I just said, and I'm well aware that it's not really clear. (laughs) But it will be as we apply it to something specific, which is what we're going to do this morning as we dive into this series. Um, First, let me say something about our influences. We have to be aware of this if, if we want to deconstruct our pursuits and our priorities and our values. In this culture, we are very vulnerable to the influences around us from the time that we're young children right through the rest of our lives. We are impacted by these influences. We live in an age of information consumption. That is influence. That has an influence on us. Um, I read some terrifying statistics as I was processing all this. I looked at a report that was created by the University of California, San Diego. Listen to what they came up with in terms of our information consumption here in America. They believe that as individuals, we take in about 34 gigabytes of content every day. 34 gigabytes a day. Now, on top of that, add 100,000 words that we take in with our eyes and our ears... It comes through TV, radio, internet, phones, video games, all kinds of things. And we spend, on average, 11.8 hours per day consuming information through various forms of media. Now, here's the one thing that I can say to make that reality even worse. That report was published 10 years ago. Do you think that all that consumption has an effect on the formation of our pursuits and priorities and values? Of course it does. So that has to be considered as we deconstruct these things and we invite God to rebuild them in our lives. Now I imagine that Jesus was completely oblivious to all this since he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. How could he possibly understand us or have anything meaningful to say to us? Media moved a lot slower then which is, of course, me being sarcastic, Jesus definitely engaged in this kind of deconstruction process. Let's see what he did and how he did it. I think he has a lot to offer us. So turn first to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, and look at verse 21, excuse me. We're going to just skim a section in the message that he preached on a hillside. We're going to start by just glancing at verse 21, and then we're going to glance at a few verses after that um, that give us a a little bit of a pattern of what's going on. Jesus says in verse 21, 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, and he outlines a new way of thinking regarding murder. Now look at verse 27. He does the same in verse 27 regarding adultery and lust. He does it again in verse 31 about divorce, verse 33 about oaths, verse 38 about retaliation, and verse 43 about loving your enemies. There's a pattern here. Jesus systematically deconstructs what they had been taught, and he rebuilds these principles and values according to God's plan which he brought with him from heaven. And so this process of deconstruction and rebuilding was not foreign to Jesus. While the people around him may not have been consuming 34 gigabytes of info a day, they were being influenced by the world. Sometimes it was religious leaders who were influencing them, like the passage we just skimmed. Sometimes it was their culture. Sometimes it was the reality of the war happening in the spiritual realm all around them. Jesus faced this constantly. And not just in those people who are viewed as opposition to Jesus. Our main passage this morning that we're going to look at has to do with Jesus' disciples and how he did this with them. So turn now to Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. Luke 22, beginning at verse 24. I want us to dig into this passage a bit as an example of where we're going with this series. We're going to work through this scenario this morning as a bit of a practice session, but the bonus to this is that this is an issue that's very relevant to so many of us, to myself included. So let's read verses 24 to 30 of Luke chapter 22. This is what Luke writes. A dispute also arose among them. He's talking about his disciples, and this happens to be right after Jesus introduced communion to them. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. All right, this is a classic example of how Jesus confronts the way that someone sees life and rearranges it his way. The culture had influenced Jesus' disciples in the area of greatness. They wanted to be highly esteemed. They wanted to be above the others. They were looking to see who was considered to be top dog, who was highest up the ladder. Jesus points out what influenced them and replaces that influence with his own. What were the disciples looking for? What need did they have that they wanted satisfied? Was it a legitimate need or just a want 
This is part of the deconstruction process. And the word dominion comes to mind here. Dominion. Jesus could see that. His disciples were pursuing a model of leadership that they had seen around them. And this desire that they had was not illegitimate. It was not an illegitimate desire. The need for dominion is real and it's God-given. In Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28, God assigns dominion to Adam and Eve. They were made in his image, in God's image, and they were assigned the task of having dominion over the birds, the fish, and every creature that walked on the land. They were to rule over creation in that way. So being made in God's image, I believe that we have in us a desire, a need to have dominion. To have dominion over something. The disciples were looking for dominion. Who would rule over the others as the greatest? And Jesus met them in that desire. He broke it down and rebuilt their perspective based on the principles that characterized his kingdom, not the world's kingdom. On the simplest level, there's a contrast here between the way the world orders the two main components of greatness and the way God orders them. This is how the world orders things. The quest we see around us and in our own lives is to see ourselves established over other people. We're taught to be the best, the highest, the most whatever, the fastest, the strongest, the smartest, the most profitable, the most impressive by the world's standards. That's what Jesus points out to his disciples right away here. But God sees things and designed things differently. Jesus makes it clear that his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, according to the world's standards. Now let's break this down a little further. At the base of all this, I believe, is our built-in desire for dominion. How then does the world's culture influence our desire? At least a couple of things happen here that I can see. The world feeds our selfish nature. We were born with it. We were born selfish, naturally. We're told constantly that we're number one. That I am the most important person in my life. And immediately God's picture of greatness is challenged. Secondly, the world's culture has taken away, for the most part, our dominion over nature. There aren't many people left in America who live off the land, exercising dominion over nature the way that God instructed Adam and Eve to do so. It's not really exercising dominion to rip the plastic wrap off your preformed burger patties and put them in your George Foreman grill to be subdued. <laughs> so already we're off track. The base is under attack. Our desire for dominion is being influenced. It's being influenced. The opportunity is being taken away. Our selfishness is being promoted. And all of that is an attack to the base. But the influence continues. Culture also raises the value of things like power and victory. Defeating someone promises to satiate our need for dominion. Whether it's on the playing field or in the corporate world, our quest to win is congratulated. I coach recreational soccer for young kids. 
You think that means that winning doesn't matter to them? No way. They've been influenced. They've been told that they need to win. Their win, their winning is going to be congratulated. Now there's one more level of mention of influence that I'll mention. Um, these aren't all of them, but it's a good place to start. And this level consists of noise, noise, noise. How many voices are screaming at us about how to win, how to lead, how to have power, how to dominate, how to rule, how to subdue, how to gain status, security, recognition, how to be the greatest? These influences are very powerful. And if we're apathetic, they'll take control and fully shape the way that we view dominion in our world. That's what was happening with Jesus' disciples. And Jesus acknowledged that influence. But let's do a little deconstruction before we get to Jesus' rebuilding. What do you do with the top level of influence on the screen? What do you do with the noise? Well, that's a self-discipline opportunity, isn't it? Shut it off. Turn off the noise. Cut down on the constant flow of information Disengage for a while. Take away the influence of the noise. Then take a a good look at the way our culture has elevated power and victory. And ask yourself, is it really as valuable as I'm being told? Don't hesitate to, to question anything that influences your view of life and the world. Then there's this first line of influence, and these hit close to home. So peel them back and look at what's beneath that layer. Beneath that selfish drive to be on top is a legitimate need for dominion. Sin messed that pursuit up. And long before the opportunities to exercise dominion were taken away, there was a command to have dominion over creation. And now at the base, invite Jesus to rebuild that pursuit into what he wants it to be. That means there's a need for several things. These are some things that I was thinking, thinking about and I want to just point them out to you. First of all, we need to surrender that desire for dominion to God. If it came from him, it belongs to him. He can redeem it. He can recreate it. Give it to him. It's in you. You and I were wired with this. Give it to God. Surrender it to him. Then listen to God. Rather than allowing our ears to be saturated by the culture, we need to turn our ears towards God and what he says. God himself told the world to listen to his son. Remember from heaven that voice that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He has the words of eternal life, Peter said. Jesus does. So what did Jesus have to say to his disciples about their pursuit of greatness? All right, back to our text in Luke 22. In verse 25, Jesus had acknowledged the influence of culture on them. But in verse 26, he gives them something different and true to listen to. He says, 
Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. So surrender your desire to God. Listen to him and then follow Jesus' example. It's there for us. Jesus, in verse 27, invited the disciples to follow his example. He said, For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? That's the way they saw greatness. But, he said, I am among you as one who serves. His example confused them greatly, but it spoke volumes about their desire for dominion and how it had gotten messed up. This was Jesus' way. Now our pursuits, our priorities, and our values start to match up with his. We seek him, and we seek his kingdom. In verse 29, Jesus said, I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. And if you've read this passage before, I'd, I think for me, I've, just, I've always just sort of skipped over that little statement in there. That Jesus assigned to us a kingdom. He assigned to his disciples a kingdom. Earth's kingdom is replaced with God's kingdom. And then in verse 30, we see the last factor in the rebuilding process. There's something unexpected in here. Having broken down their pursuit and rebuilt it his way, Jesus offers his disciple a, a reward here. Their desire for dominion would be met in his kingdom. Verse 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is where dominion according to Jesus' design would lead them. I think this is amazing. So church, this is what I mean by deconstruction. This is what I'm talking about. Our culture affects every single one of us. It weakens our foundation. It sends us off in directions that we don't necessarily want to go. But there's always hope for us to deconstruct our pursuits and our priorities and our values and surrender them to God, inviting him to rebuild our lives. So I invite you to join me in this this summer. Let's do this together. Let's do this deconstruction thing with our, with our relationships, with our understanding of things like acceptance, success and failure, fear, love, so much more. I have all kinds of things in mind for us to work through and look at the influence that the world, that the culture has had on our understanding of these things and invite God to reorder them, to rebuild, reconstruct them his way because he has so much to offer us on every one of these things. I think we're all well aware of the impact that our culture is having on us. It's not just on the world around us, is it? We're not exempt from that influence. It hits every single one of us. And I really feel like God's inviting us into this this season of deconstruction and reconstruction. Allowing God to open our eyes to how we break these things down and look at what's at the base and rebuild, rebuild up from there. There's a new life 
that's available for us. And Jesus died to give us that life. He invites us then into a lifetime of transformation. It's something that's to be going on all the time. We are to be being transformed constantly. Constantly. We will not finish that before we die. It'll be happening all the time. He asks us to take up our crosses. He told us that we'd have to die to ourselves, to that nature in us that creates selfishness instead of service, instead of sacrifice. He's asking us to invite his kingdom into every aspect of our lives. No matter what's off track or how far off track it is, God can redeem it. He can recreate it. He died to see that happen. Jesus died to see that happen. I want you to remember that as you come to share communion together this morning. God desires to rebuild your life and he sent his son Jesus to make that new life possible for every one of us. A life that's surrendered to him and built on the pursuits and priorities and values of his kingdom, of God's eternal kingdom. And so come this morning offering your life to him. Every aspect, every pursuit, every priority, every value, your whole life. And accepting that new life that Jesus made possible for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what these things represent up here, the elements that we're going to share together. The bread represents his body that was given for us. The path that he obediently walked for his father to take the punishment that we deserve on himself. The cup represents his blood, the new covenant, the new arrangement that God has with us where we are forgiven, we are washed clean by Jesus' blood so that we can stand before God clean and confident, without guilt, without shame, and say, God, what do you have for my life? How do you want me to understand these things? Give me strength to fight off the influences around me that are steering me away from your plan, your path, for me, for my life, for my family's life, for our marriage. All that's available to us, church. So let the elements this morning be a reminder of that. This happened to give us freedom. This happened to give us new life. It's there for every single one of us. Remember that as you come. I'm going to invite the elders to come up now and prepare to serve. I'm going to invite Pam to come up and play as we enter into communion together. And as they're coming, will you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning admitting that we are vulnerable to the impact that this world, this culture, has on us. Just as the people in Jesus' time were vulnerable, we're vulnerable. Just as Jesus' disciples who walked with him day after day were vulnerable, so are we. And God, it really is staggering to look at just how much influence is taking place all around us. All the stuff that's coming at us, all of the different 
ideas, all the different pursuits that we're presented with in this world, in this kingdom, the different ways that we're to prioritize things according to this world's kingdom, this culture, the values that get set deeply in us because of the impact that our culture has on us. But in the meantime, Jesus says that we've been assigned a kingdom and it's your kingdom. So Father, I ask that as we go through this summer, you would help us put things in order. That you would show us where we've gone off track. You would show us where we've taken on our culture's priorities. And where maybe we've kind of set yours aside or fit them into an hour on a Sunday morning. God, I'm asking for transformation throughout the summer here. That we come in open and honest with you. That we come in humble and ready to be changed that we come in willing to tear back some layers as hard as it might be and get down to the base of who we were created to be. We are created in your image and help us replace our pursuits, our priorities, our values with yours and rebuild our lives according to your kingdom. God, this morning as we come to communion, we come acknowledging the symbols acknowledging the elements that represent Jesus' body and blood, we come acknowledging the fact that this had to happen in order for us to be set free from the nature that we were born with because of sin. That this happened, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection took place so that we could be released from that, that we could be released into the place where we experience our eternal lives now because your kingdom comes here and is fulfilled in our lives. We acknowledge that that's the only way it could have happened. So God, as we come this morning, we come humbly before you with gratitude, with thanksgiving in our hearts for the opportunity for a new life. Work out those lives in us. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for his suffering in our place. Thank you for his death so that our old selves could die with him. Thank you for his resurrection so that we could step into new life, life eternal, abundant life, life in your kingdom. Lead us there, Father, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.